BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. I'm back. I'm back. We survived the cruise. We didn't just survive. The, we had a wonderful time on the cruise. This vacation was just absolutely wonderful. Louise and I had a marvelous time. I've been to Alaska before, but I've never played tourists there. Literally whale like, you know, 30 yards from our boat. Orcas, sea lions, uh, sea otters, bears, eagles. An amazing train trip through this I don't even know how to describe this massive valley, glaciers. But I think the coolest thing was the community of people. It was so cool hanging out with and making, you know, new friends with people who are of like mind. And, you know, we made some wonderful friendships that we hope to stay in touch with. It was really, really a hoot. So anyhow, Tuesday night, one of the people in our group had a uh, had had, you know, gotten a larger room, uh, a, a larger suite than the rest of us and invited us all over to their suite, uh, this couple. And so we all watched the first debate together. And then last night, of course, uh, Louise and I were on an airplane. Uh, we got in about, you know, one o'clock this morning. So we listened, to, I, I listened to the debate last night, mostly on my SiriusXM app on my phone using the Wi-Fi on the plane. And so, I, you know, I might have missed some nuance. I mean, we've seen the, the TV reports this morning but, you know, I think I pretty much got it. It seems to me like just some quick kind of above the line thoughts. One of the biggest winners, I think, of both nights debates was Donald Trump. And I say that because if you think back to the Republican debates four years ago, they were constantly trashing Hillary Clinton. I mean, everybody took every opportunity to trash Hillary Clinton, which is, you know, what you do, right? You take on the opposition. Yeah, there were a few people who took shots at Donald Trump, but it was almost like gratuitous rather than, you know, any kind of detail or any kind of really going after him. And that I thought that was unfortunate. I thought, you know, I get it. You know, people, everybody's trying to take down. Well, in this case, it's Biden. Take down the big guy. You know, let's let's see who can do that. Kamala Harris in the last debates. You know, rocketed to the top because she did a takedown of Biden. And then last night, of course, it was uh, Cory Booker, uh, you know, trying to do the same. I get it, but I think that that's the format that CNN put together. And you go back to like old presidential debates. I mean, go back and and rewatch. It's it lives on YouTube. Uh, rewatch the old Nixon Kennedy debates, and it was like, how are you going to deal with these issues? How are you going to deal with substantial issues? And 
you know, Nixon and Kennedy would just, you know, lay out their differences on health care, on housing, on education. And I realize these weren't primary debates, but but the whole format of debates, I mean, the Lincoln-Douglas, well, those was the last of, what, eight hours, something like that. Um, the point is, I think that the big winner was Trump and the big loser was CNN. CNN and their hosts in this crazy format just looked foolish to me. I, you know, I just, I, I thought it was tragic. I really did. We got to know some of the candidates a little bit, but how, how can you really get to know somebody in a one-minute soundbite? It just didn't seem to work for me. And Tuesday night, I was just going crazy with, why are we having a debate about what we can't do? Why don't we have a conversation about what we can do? I mean, John Delaney, I think, you know, really needs to go back to the Republican Party. Um, you know, I realize he's probably never been a Republican, but um, he certainly was playing one on TV Tuesday night. And it just, and, and CNN was like all over it. I mean, the, the opening question was, let's talk about how John Delaney wants to pick on you know, Bernie and Elizabeth, I, you know, basically. On, on, we can't afford health care. After all, we're, you know, there's 34 countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, 34 fully developed countries in the world. And 33 of them have national health care systems. And we have a for-profit health care system just designed to make a, you know, a few people very, very rich and depriving health care from a whole bunch. Of, this is something I'll be debating Grover Norquist about in the next hour. But it's like this. You don't need to tell me what we can't do. I mean, we're supposed to be the United States of America, right? We're the country that put a man on the moon. We're the country, three of them, in fact. We're the, we're the country that, that defeated the, you know, the defeated the Nazis, for God's sake. We're the country that, that in the modern era, like in, you know, in, the, in this millennia, we're the, we're, or, you know, the last one, we're the country that, that reinvented the idea of a democratic republic, you know, it was interesting, but I think that CNN playing this as a prize fight, you know, it was like, this is like, oh, it's a cage match. Let's throw them all in the cage and, and, and you know, let's the, toss, a, toss a shiv at one of them and give us some brass knuckles to another. Let's see what happens. It did not seem to me like it illuminated very much for the American people. Um, I'm also, you know, Concerned, they, they, you know, the CNN in particular. I mean, you know, uh, Tuesday night, in particular. Oh, you know, it's, it's uh, you're going to take away people's health care. Literally, nobody on stage. And and thank God, Elizabeth Warren called this out. Hey, we're the Democrats. We're not the ones who take away health care. This is what the Republicans are trying to do. I mean, they've got a lawsuit going right now. You know, down in Texas to take away everybody's Obamacare, um, to take away health care. This is what Republicans do. And, and why CNN, I, it, just, it just boggles my mind. Anyhow, the, uh, we also have uh, some interesting news here. Ted Deutsch, uh, Kyle Cheney just uh, tweeted this. I saw it over on DU. Uh, Ted Deutsch just became the 23rd Democratic member of the House of Representatives since Robert Mueller's testimony to call for an impeachment inquiry. Now, this is not calling for impeachment. This is calling for an impeachment inquiry. You know, let's look into what Trump, what crimes Trump may have committed, high crimes and misdemeanors. High, high crimes and misdemeanors are defined as behaving in a way that, that is, you know, is not appropriate for the office and is not good for the nation. 
And that's like the definition of the Trump presidency, frankly. Well, anyhow, he became, Ted Deutsch became the 23rd lawmaker uh, to call for an impeachment inquiry, which now means that a majority of the Democratic caucus, a majority of all the Democrats in the House of Representatives have now called for an impeachment inquiry. So we'll see what Nancy Pelosi does with that. You know, up until this point, the essentially talking point that we've been getting from her is I'm just counting votes. I'm not going to do it until my caucus tells me to do it. I mean, these, these are not verbatim quotes, but this is, the, you know, this is essentially the essence of what she's been saying. And, okay, you've got your majority now. Let's have the, let's have the impeachment inquiry. And, and, you know, Jerry Nadler has just, you know, come right out and said, yeah, we want to do this. So, so we've got that. Uh, so far, only seven candidates have qualified for the next uh, Democratic debate. Uh, that would be Warren, Sanders, Harris, Buttigieg, Booker, Biden, and O'Rourke. And O'Rourke seems to be sinking like a stone. I, I, you know, I, 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 people thought of him as the dragon slayer. You know, he took on Ted Cruz, but you know, he didn't quite take on Ted Cruz. And I, I just, we'll see where this goes with him. I'm still wary of outside of Delaney. I'm still wary of people calling up and saying, here's why I don't like so-and-so. But I would like to know who you do like. Who do you want to see as president? I mean, you know, it seems like it's, it's coming down to basically one of two things. The Democrats this time around are either going to nominate a progressive. Elizabeth Warren is, is rising. Bernie is holding steady. And the two of them, between the two of them, I think that they have probably a majority of the vote. So they're either going to, the Democrats are either going to nominate a progressive or they're going to nominate somebody who is, quote, a centrist. And this is going to define the future, not just of the Democratic Party, but of America. Because make no mistake about it, the Democratic Party is right now, and you know, people talk about, oh, it's a fight within the Democratic Party. Well, it is. And it's a fight to take the Democratic Party back to its values. Keep in mind, it was Lyndon Johnson who brought us Medicare and Medicaid. Back to those core values, things like health care. And Medicaid, you know, Robert Ball, the guy who wrote the Medicare law, is on the record saying, we wrote this Medicare law in such a way that, and he expected to see it in the next decade, in such a way that every couple of years we can lower the eligibility age by another five or ten years until everybody's covered. That was the vision of the guys who wrote Medicare. And then, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, of course, brought us, brought, brought us not just the New Deal in general, but Social Security and the right to unionize and the minimum wage and long-term unemployment insurance and all these extraordinary things. And, you know, there are many of us who would like to see the party go back to the values of Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson. It has strayed far from that. And then there are others who would like to see the Democratic Party basically move forward in a, uh, quote, centrist direction. And I understand the argument for that. The argument basically is that the Supreme Court has legalized purchasing of politicians. And because of that, it's going to be really hard to get stuff done because, you know, there's, there's so much money out there buying so many politicians, including Democrats. So we'll see where this all goes. 
Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you live back in my studio here in Portland, Oregon, and, and a fine place it is. A beautiful morning this morning, walking into work. Barbara just called and made a suggestion that I thought was brilliant. Barbara from Sun City, she said, let's bring back the League of Women Voters. Now, probably a lot of people listening or watching don't remember the League of Women Voters. You, you got to be a certain age um, to remember when debates were moderated by League of Women Voters. I mean, the, CNN and MSNBC, I think in both cases, saw this, saw these debates as marketing opportunities for their networks as opportunities to promote their hosts, to turn their stars into superstars. And it really should have been about the candidates, and it really should have been about the issues. And instead, it was about, let's have a, a you know, let's turn this into blood sport. And I'm all in favor of having the League of Women Voters or some other completely nonpartisan, completely neutral entity run these debates. I, I, I just, you know, so anyhow, uh, AJ in Gainesville, Virginia says here, you say, don't blame CNN. What's up? I agree with what you're saying about the marketing aspect of the cable news networks. I mean, that's what they do. Right. And I actually turned them off and, and actually found your show because I was sick and tired of all of the whataboutism and all of the Republicans coming on and lying and not being countered or corrected on the shows by the anchor. Uh-huh. So I don't do those shows anymore, but I did see, uh, yeah, I did see the debate last night. So all the blame in the world for CNN, but I also want to say it is also the responsibility for people who are running to be the most powerful person in the world to be able to not be manipulated. And they, everyone on that stage had a right to say, you know what? I'm not going to take the bait and go ahead and answer the question the way that they wanted to. Yeah. Um, I did not like seeing people trying to destroy Obama's accomplishments. Right. And there were a couple of people, in my opinion, that were super aggressive. And that was, what's the mayor of New York? Right, Bill de Blasio. He was also, <laughs> there, were, there were two interruptions last night. One was, you know, about the deportations and, and you know, uh, against Biden. The other, the other was against de Blasio, where, where they were yelling out the name of that cop who, who killed uh, Eric Garner and then got off, basically. And de Blasio still has him on the payroll. Exactly, exactly. So de Blasio was way over the top. But I was also disappointed in Kamala Harris because I thought she was too aggressive. And I think what um, what I want these these folks to do, I understand that, you know, they want to be the last man standing. Well, it's, it's not just it's, it's not that just that, A.J. I think that, uh, you know, that that aggressive part of that aggressive thing is trying to say, I can take on Donald Trump. I can be I can I, just imagine me doing this to Trump. That's what they're saying. Yeah. But but see, here's the thing. Having seen the debates in 2016, uh, believe me, I could. I have nightmares thinking about what Donald Trump would do to Kamala Harris. Okay, so I don't think it's what, about. How? What do you mean? Oh my gosh, her whole. He's some of the things that were brought up last night. He's going to go through her history and her record as Attorney General. He's going to do that okay. with anybody. Yeah, and, and the but, Republicans but are going to do that with anybody. And there's not, but, no. But, no. Go ahead. But wait a minute. She's a woman. And she is actually from the demographic that he is the most critical of. Right. And that is a, an African-American woman. And you mean to tell me you don't think that he's going to... It doesn't matter with him. I he absolutely think he's going to. He's, abso he's, he's absolutely he's, level. Yeah, AJ, he's he absolutely going to do that. 
But he's going to do that with any of them, I think. You know, it's AJ, thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. You know what it is? It's gravity, right? Gravity is getting all of us. <laughs> so how do you deal with under eye puffiness or wrinkles or whatever? Uh, what works is Plexiderm. And I'm not talking about working in days or weeks. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates under eye bags and wrinkles from view in minutes. Did you hear that? In minutes. The science behind Plexiderm is incredible with clinical studies to back it up. If you look older and tired because of crow's feet, wrinkles, or under eye bags, you can look younger in just minutes with Plexiderm. See for yourself. Watch a real video with real people and see how fast crow's feet, wrinkles, and under eye bags disappear. Those results are backed by Plexiderm's 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use the coupon code TOM, T-H-O-M, for my discount. That's TryPlexiderm.com with the code TOM, T-H-O-M, or call 1-800-685-1292 and mention TOM. Tom Hartman here with you. And I want to broaden the lens a little bit. It seems to me that one of the main themes that has been running through the Democratic debates, and that used to be running through the Democratic Party up until, by and large, the 1980s or 1990s, um, certainly it was at the core of Franklin Roosevelt's agenda. It was certainly at the core of Lyndon Johnson's uh, agenda with the Great Society is that there are some things that should not be part of the profit system. There are some things that have to do with, with basic human rights, basic quality of life, basic survival stuff, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, for example, in the 1890s, this country by and large, I mean, it started in Massachusetts and it spread across the country, but this country by and large said education, you know, it's fine if somebody wants to make a profit on education, but the, it, this is an appropriate function of government. And so we got, you know, free primary education. Uh, not free in quotes. Obviously, we're all paying for it with our taxes. But, but we all decided that society would be better off if we were well-educated. And we, we certainly saw that with, with college, with the GI Bill. You know, for every dollar it cost us, we got $7 back. So we've, we've by and large, you know, I, I realize we're moving backwards in some regards on this. And if Betsy DeVos had our way, we'd go all the way backwards. And the other one is health care. Every other developed country in the world, 33 out of the 34 OECD countries, have all developed national health care systems that don't rely on the profit motive. And we have not. And this is something that, you know, there are different solutions, different ways to address this. So, you know, I wanted to get a, a Grover Norquist's take on this. He's the president of Americans for Tax Reform, ATR.org. Uh, the guy who famously said he doesn't want to destroy American government. He just wants to shrink it down to the size where he can drown it in the bathtub. Um, uh, Grover, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you. Thank I'm you. actually from Massachusetts, where the drive to eliminate free private schools, because people are teasing teaching kids and teaching kids, uh, was driven by the Protestant effort to force all the Catholics into government schools where they could learn the right way to do things. It was specifically designed uh, as an attack on the Catholic immigrants. Yeah, you're absolutely uh, right. And, and that, was Horace Mann's, that was Horace Mann's sales pitch was, you know, to the know-nothings, to the Order of the Star-Spangled Banner was, we'll break the backs of the Catholic resistance with, with public schools. But, you know, that, that's, a, I think, another debate for another time, because that was in the 1890s, and we're really not debating that any longer. But, but my question to you is, why do conservatives want to work so hard to turn America into a third-world kleptocracy? Why is it that we have to, everything has to be driven by the profit motive when there's... It, 
clear, you know, obvious things like health care and education that should be in the public domain? I don't know what state you're in. If you think that government structures don't work on a desire for other people's money and accumulate more and more of it. You can call something nonprofit, but you can get rich running for a nonprofit organization, and you can get rich um, buying and selling stuff to the government or um, take a look at the pensions that, that all the government structures run, much more lucrative than anything that the private sector offers to average citizens. So uh, when you I, talk about... I'm not hearing an answer to my question, money, I, you know, you can, I'm, I'm I, I get the, it. You don't like I'm government. Disputing, no, Go ahead. I'm disputing the thesis that you tried to slip into the question, which is that in the world that's not organized by force, uh, the private sector, where you, you, if you want somebody's dollar, you give them some service as opposed to send the IRS to take the dollar. Um, so if that part of the economy that's not organized through for, force um, and, and threat ha- is, in fact, uh, somehow interested in money, and the government isn't interested in money. People who work for the government or nonprofits are interested in money. Take a look at how much university professors get paid, or Elizabeth Warren, $300,000 for how many hours a week. Um, so you can get very rich in a nonprofit or at the government, um, and you can be driven by cash. And uh, most of the world that you talk about as third world is governments getting rich at the expense of people using tax dollars. And yes, they're third world-ish because they don't have. And you know, you've got Stephen J. Hemsley, the CEO of United Healthcare, took over a billion dollars out of that company. The guy before him, Dollar Bill McGuire, CEO of United Healthcare, took over a billion dollars out of that company. Every penny that those guys made was made by saying to somebody, no, you can't have that liver transplant. No, you can't have that new drug. No, you can't have that. No, we're going to make, we're going to turn this into profit and we're going to pay our CEOs. But, but, you know, put it in a larger frame here, Grover, are you suggesting that our fire departments should be run on a for-profit basis, that we should go back to the situation you had before the Chicago fire where, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the uh, 19th century, where if you didn't have the right shield on your house, the fire, the for-profit fire department just drove right on by and let your house burn down? Uh, you're dividing things between for-profit and not-for-profit. I'm, I'm arguing that... I'm talking about public services. Not an intelligent way to organize... No, well, simple, simple question. Do you the, think the that fire departments thing? should not be funded by the government? Should fire departments be privately funded? Okay, there are fire departments in some parts of the country that work on contract, uh, but they generally contract to the whole town. So it's a government function, but it's provided privately. Those cost less than the ones that are run uh, by the government uh, and have to compete because they could always be shut down tomorrow and have a government. So your answer is yes, we should move our our fire departments to a for-profit basis? Seriously? No, it should be some, I'm sorry, some cities do that, Scottsdale, Arizona, and others, and they've had success with that. A lot of cities contract with other cities. So it's, it's not all one size. I'd like to have people have the option. See, what you do, the, sure. the drop in deaths, the drop in deaths from fires comes from the technological changes in smoke alarms and uh, uh, water sprinklers in well, houses. Where I'm going with this, Grover, is if, 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 if and, 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 and I, 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 I get your point. And in fact, uh, to, to a certain extent, I don't totally disagree with your point that uh, and this not. is with regard to with with regard to health insurance. You know, again, if your house is on fire, we all collectively chip in so that your house gets, you know, the fire gets put out. If your body's on fire, if you've got cancer, 
I'm saying, I'm saying we should all collectively chip in. But if you want, I mean, you know, you're a, you're a, a wealthy guy. If you want to buy an additional health insurance policy that goes beyond Medicare, that, you know, gives you, you know, private room or even a private suite in a hospital or gives you helicopter ride instead of an ambulance ride, I have no problem with for-profit health insurance that goes above and beyond, uh, you know, basic stuff. But the core stuff of if your body's on fire or if your house is on fire, these are public functions. Okay. Well, for most Americans, they do have private insurance, and it ought to be made more available. One of the things that the administration just did um, uh, this last year was to allow, Obama did not allow, but to allow uh, small companies to band together and buy less co- lower-cost insurance. The National Restaurant Association, right, crappy insurance. Asian American Hotel. Right, gotcha insurance. The, the, the kind of insurance where some billionaire is going to make a whole pile of money when you discover once you get sick that they're going to cut you off. Um, if you give people the option, right now they, have, they don't have something. This is an option that, that doesn't require people to buy, as Obamacare did, a series of products that they didn't necessarily want, where you have these mandates. The reason why healthcare is, is more expensive in some states than others is they have higher mandates, which they you're, require and don't give you a choice. You're talking them. about and Obama these, took that and made it national. Yeah, and 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 Remember so gonna, no, I, I get this. So you you're 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 promised to reduce. Are, you are specifically like saying dollars. You are specific. Obama's not. Obama's not here right now. I mean, you're specific. We are like, living. <sighs> we are paying the bills when he made healthcare free, and they said it was going to cost twenty five. Hundred dollars less for every family. Remember that? That was a promise in the campaign. Washington Post. Medicare is Medicaid runs on what three percent overhead? United Healthcare is twenty percent. What am I missing here? What you're missing is that your insurance was driven up by Obamacare. Costs more, not less, as a result. And that is a challenge. I think the and insurance Medicare. was driven up by, 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 by the profit motive, and that's, that's my argument against uh, essentially Obamacare and f- in favor of a national health care system. I mean, the, uh, 33 out of the 34 most developed countries in the world have figured this out. Why can't we? I mean, my, my original question and to you, why do conservatives work so hard to turn America into a third world kleptocracy? Okay. Well, I'm arguing that if something's important, like farms, uh, you can either have the Soviet system, where We're the government about has a nonprofit um, system of everybody works on collectives and then stars from time to time. Um, and uh, Grover, that's a straw man. Leave. Come on. The Soviet Union is not a straw man, and the Soviet system. N- nobody is, is rec- nobody is suggesting firms. the Soviet system, Grover. Come on. Jeez. Uh, Where'd you go to college? Well, um, I, to the best of my knowledge, Canada has not adopted the Soviet system, and they have a national okay. health care system. It's called Medicare for All. You said if it's important, it has to be done by the government, was the implication of what you said. And I say you get more food, better food, less expensive food with a system where people own property and work for themselves. You call it for profit. I call it free, where you are free to do what you want, free to grow food. And people where they say you're a peasant, you live here, which is most of history. You're leaving out all of history, not just the Soviet bloc, but the but Europe's system. With, Crawford, with I'm not opposed to capitalism and stuff. Yeah, you're, you're arguing. You know, if you think you're arguing good, with a good. with a Marxist, I'm sorry. I'm not. You're we're talking about health care. We're talking about life and death. What's more death. important than food? What's more important than food? 
Do you think the government running farms would do better and have lower costs than private sector? No, I really, don't. Really, do you? No. Where I in don't. the world? Why do you believe that to be the? What is it? What is the industry that gets most subsidized and regulated by the government? Education and healthcare. What are the two things that costs go up and up and up? Healthcare and education. Every time they touch it, oh, the healthcare and education inflation costs are much higher than any other part of the economy. And that's because when the government decides to make something free, it gets very expensive. Most recently, Obama, $5,000 per year so so privatize our fire departments privatize our police departments privatize our roads that's your that's your answer to everything turn literally turn america into a kleptocracy no how about you start by getting rid of some of the mandates that price people out of work how about allowing small companies to get together and buy insurance so that more people uh, can have that opportunity we're looking at several million people who are going to be able to have health insurance that didn't before but only 35% of people in smaller companies have health insurance. About 85% for higher, for larger companies. Yeah. The Grover, we're hitting a hard break here. Uh, making that legal. Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform. ATR.org is the website. You can tweet him at Grover Norquist. Grover, thanks for dropping by today. You got it. Good talking with you. You know, whether it's uh, little aches and pains or big ones, uh, Louise and I have found that the powerful health benefits of CBD oil are real. I've been using New Leaf Natural CBD oil for a while now, and I absolutely love it. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people who want the health benefits of the cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic. It has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand that I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. That's N-U Leaf Naturals. It's the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic. It is 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives. It's grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-LeafNaturals.com. And save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to NULeafNaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, NewLeafNaturals.com. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. We've been talking about the debates and where the party is at. I think that there's, you know, a broad consensus that uh, CNN just, you know, one minute, 30 seconds, you know, you, you please beat somebody up. Hey, this person said this about you. Uh, do you want to take a whack at that? I mean, it was it was like worldwide wrestling. You know, it was it was tragic, frankly. This you've got a a media organization that pretends that they're in the news business. Um, but really, they're mostly in the entertainment business, and they use news as the vehicle for that entertainment. And they were trying to get ratings. They were trying to, you know, more entertainment. You know, it's a, this is the big battle. And, and I mean, we saw MSNBC do this, uh, you know, previously, it, it, where, where, you know, they were making it like, uh, oh, you know, it's going to be Elizabeth Warren versus Bernie Sanders. The progressives are going to kill each other. No, not so much. Not so much at all. So uh, it seemed to me like the big winner of the debates, in large part because of the format, was Donald Trump. And the big loser of the debates, at least the last two nights, uh, was CNN. They, they just, you know, they came across as hacks. 
And it's it's real unfortunate. And and you know Bernie pointing out, and 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 Elizabeth Warren also pointing out that basically these were Republican talking points that were being thrown. And and sir, do you do you support raising taxes on the middle class? Really, really? I mean, didn't we go through that during the George Herbert Walker Bush campaign? And it just come on. Anyhow, Trump is continuing to attack Elijah Cummings. By the way tripling down. One of the stories that is, for some reason, not being covered much, and I, I was frankly surprised that this didn't get covered more, was that back in 1976, well, first of all, keep in mind, it's all about Princess Ivanka. Right? Elijah Cummings issues a subpoena for Ivanka Trump's private emails doing White House business, what her father ran his campaign attacking Hillary Clinton for. And three days later, the wrath of, of Trump is coming down on Elijah Cummings' head. I don't see that as a coincidence at all, number one. Number two, what a great opportunity for the media to point out that back on September 29th, 1976, because Fred Trump he, he, you know, he owned a bunch of property and he owned a bunch of apartments in Baltimore, or in Maryland, rather. He had, these, he had these properties in Maryland and they were all filled with white people and the neighborhood went through a change and pretty soon the apartments that Fred Trump owned were all filled with black people. And so Fred Trump stopped repairing them. This is how institutional and structural racism works, by the way, one of, one of a thousand ways, but this is just exactly what it was. And so the, uh, these disgusting rat and rodent infested apartments that Fred Trump owned and that his son was leasing out, renting to people, were so bad. And, they, you know, by the way, Donald Trump was part of the Trump organization at that, at that point in time. Uh, this is uh, from the Washington Post. When the notoriously frugal Fred Trump failed to pay for repairs by that July, his housing license was revoked, preventing him from signing new leases. The blow to his pocketbook spurred him to action. Trump agreed to fly to Maryland to meet with local officials on September 29, 1976. Instead, he was arrested. Prince George's was cracking down on dilapidated housing complexes, but arresting an owner was unusual. Joseph T. Healy, the county's housing inspector supervisor, told the Post, We probably haven't issued four arrest warrants in the last five years. But Fred Trump, it was so egregious. There was another headline, Major Landlord Accused of Anti-Black Bias in City. Yes, that was against Donald and his father, Fred, charging them with violating the Fair Housing Act of 1968 in the operation of 38 different buildings. New York Times reported the government contended that Trump management had refused to rent or negotiate rentals, quote, because of race and color. It also charged that the company required different rental terms and conditions because of race and that it had misrepresented to blacks that apartments were not available. And it goes on from there. Uh, mold, mice infestations, their children were getting sick. I mean, it just, it, uh, the worst troubles may have been described in a 2013 court case involving Jasmine Cox unit at Cove Village, an apartment complex that Donald Trump owned and ran. Uh, they began with a bedroom ceiling. 
Oh, excuse me. This is a Jared Kushner's. Jared Kushner owned this. Uh, they began with the bedroom ceiling, which started leaking one day. Then maggots started coming out of the living room carpet. Then raw sewage started flowing out of the kitchen sink. It sounded like someone turned a pool upside down, Cox told me. I heard the water hitting the floor, and I panicked. I got out of bed, and the sink is black and gray. It's pooling out of the sink, and the house smells terrible. At Essex Park, this is another Kushner property, east of the city, Marquita Parmley, the truck driver, told me that she had a mouse infestation that was severe enough that her 12-year-old daughter recently found one in her bed. Parma also has a two-year-old with asthma, which is aggregated by allergens in mouse droppings. She moved her own bed and furniture, other furniture, away from the walls to dissuade the mice. Kept the family's laundry and tote bags after mice started appearing in the hamper and vacuumed twice a day. Her neighbor told me it took weeks for staff members to replace a rear window that had been shot out by kids with a BB gun. Brilliant. This is Kushner. I mean, you know, does any of this surprise you? It doesn't me. Anyhow, back to our, our conversations about the debates and uh, you know, pick up, picking up your phone calls and thoughts on this. Steve in Palmdale, California. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hi, Tom. Nice to see you again. Thank you. Um, uh, your points about the dysfunction of the debates on commercial television are well taken, as well as the much better stewardship of the League of Women Voters. But we already have a venue, C-SPAN, which is objective and non-commercial. We could, if, if C-SPAN were carrying debates, if C-SPAN ran 30-minute interviews or 60-minute interviews with every candidate that reaches the threshold that they used to qualify them for the debate, uh, we would all have access to it. We would not be bothered by these uh, commercial uh, 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 it, well, the ads wouldn't be run, and nobody would be put pushing any network personalities. Right. Yeah, but C-SPAN and, is a great option, or would uh, as would be free, free speech TV, frankly. But uh, I think you know C-SPAN is more likely. It's it's more ubiquitous. Yeah. LJ in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, LJ, what's up? You're wondering how we got here. Okay, it goes back to when Bernie had hair color like yours and a lot more like yours. Okay, think like the you know this whole thing with the like the educational thing. How this crisis, we voted them in. You know, you and I voted them in, and then we complain when they we got just what we wanted, and now we've got a big crisis. Yeah, I'm not we willing to take responsibility for that, LJ. I, I believe that most of our problems began with the 1976 Buckley uh, versus Vallejo Supreme Court decision. I was going to say, I was going to say, the other way on the debate like this, okay, it goes back about 40 years ago to when we had an election. And gee, they lost. And gee, we've got to take money just like the Republicans. Right. So what did they do? They took out all the union votes because they didn't matter because they didn't have enough. Well, it wasn't so much that. It was that when Reagan went into office, a third of America's workforce was unionized. And by the time uh, you know Bill Clinton came along, it was down to under 20 percent. Now it's 6 percent. I mean, the, the Republicans... This, this was an effort to defund the Democratic Party, and it's been very, very successful. And, and it continues to be successful, and that's, that's in my opinion, creating a, a, a genuine crisis for the country. Uh, Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's up? 
I was happy to hear you point out about the new milestone being hit with an impeachment inquiry. And um, Common Dreams has a nice summation of it on their website today. Um, it's amazing to me, Tom, that it took until the fourth debate for there to be even a question about it. That's pretty crazy. A question about um, what? And about about impeachment. Oh, impeachment. Okay. Got the it. first three debates, they didn't even have one question about the Mueller report or, or impeachment. You're right. And I think the decision over whether to do one or not speaks to what Bernie and Elizabeth are slowly but surely teaching the establishment in the Democratic Party. And that's um, we need to stop pre-negotiating with ourselves, stand strong for our principles, and not come to the table with a weakened hand. Yep. Knowing what we know, Tom, about his emoluments violations, his most probable money laundering through shady real estate deals, and how the very limited in scope Mueller report lays down 10 counts of obstruction, five with substantial, very substantial evidence. The question is, why would any Democrat not be for an impeachment inquiry? And the only excuse is, if you want to, if you want to go on triangle, triangulating and equivocating, equivocating in the guise of strategizing. And how's that so-called strategizing been working out for us for, for these past 40 years? Um, and finally, can you imagine, Tom, if, if Hillary was the president and her top people like Manafort, Cohen, Flynn, and Gates were all sitting in jail and last night was a GOP debate? All we would have heard for three hours was lock her up, lock her up. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and it was a huge missed opportunity, but uh, it was also carefully stage managed both by MSNBC before and by CNN this time around. And, the, you know, the, the topics, the frames for the topics, the, you know, somebody called earlier and pointed out that uh, CNN's uh, head of programming now and their political programming is a former Jeff Sessions aide. That should tell you pretty much everything you need to know if that's the case. I, I remember when the story came across my desk. Yeah, I think you put that story out there. When I, I did. I, did. I just don't know yeah. if she's still there. Okay. Uh, Jeff, thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you. You know, age creeps up on all of us, and you don't even have to be all that old to start being concerned about under-eye puffiness or wrinkles, things like that. And, you know, the tea bags and the hemorrhoid cream and all that, they just don't work. But what does work is Plexiderm. And I'm not talking about days or weeks to work. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates under-eye bags and wrinkles from view in minutes. Did you hear that? In minutes. The science behind Plexiderm is incredible, with clinical studies to back it up. If you look older and tired because of crow's feet, wrinkles, or under-eye bags, you can look younger in just minutes with Plexiderm. See for yourself. Watch a real video with real people and see how fast crow's feet, wrinkles, and under-eye bags disappear. Those results are backed up by Plexiderm's 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and use the coupon code TOM, T-H-O-M, for my discount. That's TriPlexiderm.com with the code TOM. Or call 1-800-685-1292 and mention TOM. So let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com. And loving what you do, Ellen Ratner's new book on the line with us is Bob Nay, the author of Sideswipe, former congressman from Ohio, as a former Republican, as a former congressman, and as a, and frankly, in my opinion, one of the most astute political observers that I know. I am really interested in your take on the debates uh, last night and the night before. Well, yes, Tom, I've been watching, you know, intently all of them. And the night before, uh, you know, I felt that it was the, uh, and this is how I worded it in the press uh, statements we put out to the stations, it was, it was the progressives versus the progressive moderates. <laughs> That's okay. the way I deemed it. Um, because, 
you know, uh, they, they were trying to separate some of them themselves from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And I felt that the arguments over Medicare for All are really wasted arguments because now the other candidates are coming up with, you know, quote, their version of it. Mm. And they need to not fragment themselves. I mean, I understand that the Democratic Party is not a, you know, one-sided uh, deal and everybody has to do the same thing. But on the issue so important to people, I was watching with a bit of dismay at the fact that, you know, everybody was trying to outbest themselves on their version of it. And then it boiled down to the uh, terribly uh, false question that CNN asked, which was, you know, they asked it this way, yes or no, are you willing to raise taxes on the middle class? It's not an issue of raising taxes. And I thought Bernie Sanders very appropriately slapped Jake Tapper for that one. Yeah, so, Republican talking you know, point. Yeah, so I, I think that, uh, again, there's a difference of opinion, but I think that they have to be very careful in these debates, and it's like last night, that uh, they don't uh, eat their own for lunch. Have your disagreements and things, but don't feed into the, the entire, you know, Trump questions on how they look at Trump and how he will question what the progressives want to do. That's not how they can run this campaign. They have to have their mantra sell it to the people. And so I saw some fragmentation there that I thought uh, really wouldn't happen, yeah. but it did. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I, you know, everybody saw Kamala Harris suddenly rise in the polls because she, she you know, kicked Joe Biden in the shins a month ago. And, uh, and, and, I, and I think everybody thought, oh, you know, it's, it's my turn to kick right. somebody, you know, and, and that's how you get right. to the top of this pile. And, and, and frankly, the format and the, and the questions lend to that. I mean, if you've got 30 or 60 seconds max, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't, you can't seriously talk about policy and that kind of, and, and I, I don't think this serves the public interest, frankly. Oh, I, I think it's terrible. And CNN, uh, you know, corporate media, CNN uh, was standing there and, and they were just wanting, the night before particularly, wanting the fight to occur. Yeah. And, and I love when they said to <laughs> Williamson, they said, um, well, Elizabeth Warren said this about you, and she looked at the at whoever it was and said, "Well, she didn't even say my name." And I thought, "Okay, you know, CNN made it so obvious they wanted the sexy, spicy fighting." Right. And so again, differences of opinion. But when some of the people are trying to outbest themselves and say they don't want to say they're the moderates, but I, I'm calling them the progressive moderates, yeah. and they're trying to distance themselves, and they're not going to get anywhere, frankly, above their 1% doing this. Yeah, it's a sign. On the other hand, I think what we're seeing is a very consequential sign of the, the party turning back to its FDR and LBJ roots, yeah. um, and, and oh, yeah. the incredible impact that Bernie had four years ago, echoing yeah. right through the party right now. And, and those are all, in my opinion, good signs. Bob, what else they is are. going on in the world? Well, I am looking at almost with amusement, the Senate has passed the grand budget deal. And the reason I say amusement, when I was in Congress, Tom, and Bush was president, well, in Clinton, uh, it was what I called the yawn vote. You raised the debt ceiling, you yawned a little bit, and you went to dinner. I call right. it the yawn vote. When Obama became president, it became the end of the world vote. Right. You know, you're going to raise the debt ceiling, going to destroy the country. It's finished as we know it. And now it's just passed. It's got Mitch McConnell, you know, supporting the proposal. And it's significant, not because of what they're doing on the budget, as much as the fact that the Republicans have now themselves removed the issue of the 
Democratic side being not responsible, obviously. Bob, some of the stories I've read have been kind of ambiguous about this, and I have not been mm-hmm. you know, in the center of the news scrum here for the last week because we right. Louise and I were on this cruise right. to Alaska. But um, does this budget that was just passed have a $300 billion increase in spending, or does it have a $300 billion lift in the, in the debt ceiling? I, I, I I saw the 300 billion. I thought, if there's a 300 billion dollar increase in spending, that's massive government stimulus. And I noticed uh, on Axios this morning they said that uh, government spending in the last quarter was up five percent. I mean, it sounds to me like Trump is just trying to pour money into the economy before the election. Well, he is. This just—it's a two-year budget deal, first of all. Which the budgets are—you know—they're one-year budgets. Right. It's a two-year budget deal, and it's going to raise federal spending by three hundred billion. That's huge. And then that way, they don't have this squabbling over the fiscal issues as much because there's going to be you know more money out. But Obama's there. stimulus yeah. that got us out of the crash was only five hundred billion after you take out the, the tax correct. cuts. I mean, oh, correct. So this is just a huge stimulus, and nobody is talking about it in those terms. No one. Now, in September, the conservatives will go nuts. Yeah. Yes. We'll see. We'll see. Bob Nay. Bob, always great talking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Tom Arvin here with you. Just a couple. Nick Kristoff's got an interesting op-ed. I think this went up a day or so ago, but it's on the front page of the New York Times today, uh, the electronic edition. Imagining a Warren Buttigieg or Buttigieg Warren ticket. And uh, which raises the, the question, you know, who would you like to see for president? Who would you like to see for vice president? And, you know, I think that those are good questions over at uh, Daily Kos. Now, keep in mind, this is this is a, a relatively small universe, right? It's just people who read Daily Kos typically probably every day. It's one of the top progressive websites, but it's not like a, you know, a CNN poll or an NBC poll or something like that, where they're just polling all Democrats. Um, this is polling people who are progressives. But um, I thought this was fascinating. They, they just, it, it just went up. And in fact, I'm going to refresh the page and get the latest numbers because I, I noticed that it's been, um, it's been changing. Uh, it, the poll just went up a little while ago. They've got 2,575 votes. Now, you know, anything over 1,000 is a pretty good-sized sample. So, you know, I think this is a reasonably accurate reflection of the sentiment uh, that you're finding among progressives, at least progressive readers of Daily Kos. Um, Michael Bennett is at 0%. Uh, Cory Booker is at 1%. Steve Bullock is at 0%. Julian Castro is at 1%. Bill de Blasio is 0%. John Delaney is 0%. Tulsi Gabbard, 1%. Kirsten Gillibrand, 0%. John Hickenlooper, 0%. Jay Inslee, 2%. Amy Klobuchar, 1%. Bid O'Rourke, 1%. Tim Ryan, 0%. Marianne Williamson and Andrew Yang, both 1%. And then, so that was all the zeros and ones, right? And then at, uh, so one step up from that, and, and 2% for Jay Inslee. One step up from that was Pete Buttigieg. He's at 5%. Joe Biden is at 8%. Kamala Harris, uh, Bernie Sanders is at 9%. Kamala Harris is at 12%. And Elizabeth Warren is at 53% right now. That's breathtaking. Now, again, that's a very, it's a very specific universe. This is, you know, asking progressives, but... Um, that, that's and between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, 
right now you've got well over 60, you've got 62% of the total vote. You know, and again, like I said, this is a, uh, I don't know what the word is, a pre-biased sample, I suppose, but, but still, I think it's, it's fascinating. Uh, Ari in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Ari, what's up? Hi, Mr. Tom. Tag, you're it. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, what's up? So I hosted a Yang Gang watch party in Chicago for Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. And How'd it go? And we had a great turnout. <laughs> um, and we, we actually walked away pleased because uh, Yang got more time. Uh, the only thing is I wish the debates were on major network TV like PBS, not just cable. Um, because uh, everything on regular TV was reality TV. I couldn't believe it. But um, so we really enjoyed, you know, having the debates um, in a public place. And uh, we we were happy. Andrew Yang took the high road. And that's a win to us. Um, he pointed out the mudslinging didn't attack, focused on issues that matter to people, mm. women's value and empowerment. Uh, economy, the GDP, freedom, dividend, automation, things that weren't really brought up by other candidates. Um, He focused on a lot, um, bringing the country together. Um, He focused on problems that got Trump elected, not the circus that got him in. But um, his closing statement was excellent, ethical. It was. And uh, he must I mean, he must have had an X chair and drank his beet juice. <laughs> there you go. No, Andrew Yang is, I mean, the, the most unlikely of candidates, right? The, the guy who has absolutely no political experience, just like Marianne Williams. Well, Marianne Williams actually ran for Congress. So she has some substantial political experience, but Andrew Yang hasn't. And yet here he is. And, and in this poll here, he was at, I think he was, at, uh, what, 5%, something like that. So he's, he's, he's doing well. Uh, Ari, he, thank, he, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. The American dream. There you go. Yeah, thanks a lot for the call. Lynette in Waconia, Minnesota. Am I saying that right? Yeah, you're saying it right, Tom. Um, I just wanted to mention that you were talking about, I never actually hear the beginning generally with the debates. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm out of breath. I was just walking. It's quite um, right. And I couldn't believe what I heard because, like you were saying earlier, you said all-star wrestling. I was thinking it sounded just like a boxing match. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I'm listening to my car, and I thought it was a skit. Honestly, I thought, oh, someone's putting on a skit, you know. Right. But no, it was the actual news, and I, and I was like, wow, is this how they announce it every time they do it? Because I just thought it was just a, like a joke. It was cartoonish. Yes. Like, this is our politics, and, it, and they're announcing it like this. And this is this the fate and future of our country and of the world. That's what's yeah. at stake here. I mean, the other thing, when Randy Rhodes called in, I just wanted to mention one other thing. She said Network, um, the movie, um, mm-hmm. if you remember the Mary Tyler Moore show back in the 70s, mm-hmm. they also had a really good show called The Good Time News, and it was about they got a new program director, and his line was they had to change their format of, of the news because you can't sell the news. And that was the whole joke of it, and, and of course, you know, Mary's boss is like, it's the news. You can't mess with it. Right. And so they, they wanted to make it, you know, more conversational. Right. And conver- I know. remember that segment. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's kind of like tying into what she was saying. It's like, so, you know, people in the news business at the time obviously saw these red flags coming up. And Ted Baxter would have been a great person to be, you know, on Fox News. Mm-hmm. And he was always trying to do what Fox News would now allow, and, and he'd be a star. And he was right. always getting in trouble for, you know, going off topic and giving his opinion. Mm-hmm. And yet that's exactly what we have now. Yeah. And, and he was a joke. 
He was the buffoon. He was the joke. I mean, he yeah. was the butt of the joke now, and, and now we're the butt of the joke, and Fox News is the joke. And, um, yeah. you know, yeah, excellent point. Yeah. Excellent point. Thank you, uh, Lynette, for, for calling and making it. Ronald in Chicago. Hey, Ronald, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Uh, I, was, I was just thinking, sitting in sitting my house and, and listening to the debate. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as the networks have the have control over the format and what's asked, we we're never gonna get everything we need, or even the, uh, uh, not everything, but some of the things. I think the uh, the questions and the the format should come from the public who vote, because they're not just interested in health care; they're interested in a lot of things. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to have to have the questions come from the candidates themselves or from the party. And, you know, that because then, you know, we would be talking about what they consider to be important. Um, Instead, we're talking about what Jake Tapper thinks is important. And I frankly don't give a rat's ass what Jake Jake Tapper thinks is important. I mean, you know, he's a nice guy. I had lunch with him once, but um, it's I'm I'm, he's not going to be president. Right. I'm talking we're talking here about the fate and future of this country, and it concerns me tremendously. Ronald, uh, excellent point. Go ahead. Can I I make another point, Tom? Yeah. Okay. uh, There was there was no question asked about the problems in Pontiac and you're right there in Detroit. Mm -hmm. It it, it wasn't even mentioned. Oh, yeah. And I have thousands of people just lost their jobs because of Trump's policies. Right. I have one other thing to say. And this, this has always bothered me. Why did we spend $750 million on a defense budget when we got the largest army amount of weaponry than anybody else in the world combined? Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's $700 Why billion. are we spending yeah. all this money instead of health care, instead of education, instead yep. of green energy? Yep. Why and and why wasn't that at the center of the debate? I mean, Tulsi Gabbard is pretty much the only person talking about that, and I don't think that she has much of a chance of becoming president, although lightning may strike. But, but this is a really, really important issue. Ronald, thanks for the call, and thanks for making that point. Hey, Steve, what's up? Yeah, Tom, I was calling in about that one guy was talking last night about the union workers not wanting to give up their health insurance. Right. What about all the people that don't have a union to represent them? The majority of people. I worked as a contract worker, and uh, all I got was screwed because yeah. I didn't have no union. I had no insurance. I had no uh, real good pay. Yeah, the but, unions you know, are 6% of the, con- uh, are, are 6% of the country, or 6% of our workers, and, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a travesty. Yeah, spot on. Steve, thank you very much for the call. Lee in uh, Milwaukee, Oregon. Let's see on X-Ray. Hi, Tom. Lee, what's Why up? are we calling it private health insurance, and when did we start doing that? Uh, private has, has good connotations for the public. They think of their rights to privacy. They think of their private property. We need to call this stuff what it really is. It's corporate commercial insurance. It's for profit insurance. That term instead of private, I think the debate will shift a lot. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, frankly, we should start calling it for profit health insurance and and stick with that. Thank you, Lee. Well said. Patrick in Los Angeles. Hey, Patrick, what's up? Tom, hey. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back, by the way. Um, You know, I can promise you that, by the way, I've worked in the healthcare industry for about 20 years. If people are, you know, union members are complaining about the fact that their that their healthcare coverage gets taken away, that they have to take, you know, a uh, a single payer plan. I can promise you that that plan that they were negotiated for is a is an extremely expensive plan. Yeah. It would be, in, in other words, those people would have taken a pay cut 
or taken less of, of a pay increase in order to have that plan. Yeah. Here's, um, here's the thing. The, the, the big difference, if, if I may very quickly, the, yeah. you know, somebody called and said, uh, Joe Scarborough is saying this morning, look how hard it was to get Obamacare through. Obamacare is corporate, is corporate health insurance. And, and, and it, unfortunately, thanks to the Supreme Court, doesn't cover everybody in the United States. I think that if you want to look at a parallel, there's two. Number one, what FDR did with Social Security. The Republicans yelled and screamed and called it communism, but it was insanely popular. Everybody loved it, number one. And number two, in Canada, Tommy Douglas was the guy who was a, a legislator in Saskatchewan back in the 50s who passed Medicare for All in that province. And it, it, it spread then all the way across Canada over the next decade. And he is now considered one of the most popular politicians in the history of Canada. Patrick, thank you for the call. I've got a call here from the uh, 580 area code. What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Carol Ann Farrell, and I'm calling from Oklahoma. Okay, what's on your mind, Carol? Law without mercy is not law. And that's just all something to think about. I'm 72, and I've thought about all this for a long time. Yeah, well, and okay. I want you. Carol, I want Carol, you, you said know. it very. You, you said it very well. Thank you for the call, Tim. Uh, Tim, I don't have a city for you, but it uh, looks like you're in Los Angeles from your area code. You've got the last 30 seconds, Tim. What's up? Oh, I just wanted to give you my take on the debates last night. Mm -hmm. Was uh, I watched all of them? Uh, is that I? I thought, like, Joe Biden is Caesar, and, you know, everybody else, like, you know, Brutus gathering around to give him a few stabs. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, this is, you know, the format drove this. The media coverage drove this. And rather than building up our expectations that, hey, we're going to learn how single payer could work, or we're going to learn how to take on the big banks, or we're going to learn how to break up big monopolies, instead it was, we're going to learn who's going to hurt whom. And I, I just, I think our media has just done us a bad one here. And it's a crying shame because it's not good for the future of this country. We're, this is serious stuff. It's the fate and future of America. Anyhow, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Thanks so much for being with us. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.